Welcome in to Talking Terps, a show which covers University of Maryland basketball and football. Talking Terps is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Terrapins. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome to Talkin' Terps. I'm your host, Zach Kiesel, here as always with my co-hosts, Pat Donahue and Mike Popovic. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, it's been about a month since our last episode, and in that month, a lot has happened, especially in this past week. Uh, on Tuesday, the Big Ten, uh, and things have been churning before that, but the Big Ten announced that they'd be postponing all fall sports. Uh, they're hoping to play a football season in the spring, and we'll get into that later. Uh, the Pac-12 joined them uh, in that decision. So we'll talk a little bit about that today. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about football recruiting and basketball recruiting as well, but we'll mainly be focusing on the effect both Big Ten-wide and Maryland-wide for this postponement. So, Mike, I'm going to go to you first for your initial reactions. Um, just give me a sense of where you are as far as this postponement goes. There's a lot of opinions on both sides. Do you think this was a good decision? Uh, how do you think Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren has handled it? And where do you think uh, the conference is as far as you know where they are in relation to especially uh, the other Power Five conferences? Because we're hearing that you know the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 are still planning on pushing ahead. My initial reaction is I'm really disappointed by this. Now, I understand Rutgers and Michigan State had some issues with COVID, but uh, a number of other programs have been able to do this and do this well with that bubble mentality. Uh, you heard what Jim Harbaugh had to say. He gave actual numbers concerning tests. Um, I think the kids are best served on campus. I think that they get the best nutrition. They get the best medical care with the constant testing. I don't think you're putting these kids at risk. And none of these kids are being forced to play. And that's that's an important thing as well. The Big Ten built in additional weeks to start the season later if they needed to. So if that meant that, hey, Michigan State Rutgers get together with Michigan and take a look or Ohio State and get together and see what they're doing so that whatever they're not doing, they can implement so that they can keep things um, on the upward trajectory in terms of keeping kids uh, from you know getting any positive cases. So I I'm really disappointed. I think they could have worked this out and made this happen. Now, I will preface this by saying that I do think that they needed to make sure that these football players would learn virtually. And a lot of programs have these kids do that anyway. Now, there are some schools that really pride themselves with academics that they want the kids in the classroom. But I do believe that you bring kids on campus that aren't haven't been in that bubble, that don't play sports. Yes, you're putting those football players at risk at that point. So they would need to have separated them out. But I think this could have been done. I think it's very disappointing. Again, no kid was forced to play. And if it can be done and they're doing it in a great manner, some of these kids, not all, but some of these kids are going to go back to not good home situations as, as it pertains anyway. They're, I mean, they're in a great situation on campus. So I'm, I'm really disappointed in the Big Ten with this. And when you're seeing the ACC, SEC, uh, and Big 12 move forward, um, it, it's disappointing. And why come out with a schedule last week and then a couple days later, all of a sudden, all these questions? It's absolutely ridiculous. Pat, what do you think? Where are you at with this? Well, while while I agree with a lot of what Mike said in terms of, you know, I, I 
I totally feel for the students who or the student athletes, I should say, who are some of them might be going back to an area that's considered more of a hot spot than not only Maryland, but, you know, more specifically the University of Maryland campus. Um, a, a lot of them also are going back to situations that just, you know, football for these things and sports in general and life, you know, help people develop and help people stay on the right path. A lot of people. So, and, and that's, you know, when you have a 90 man football roster, there's a lot of those cases. So not only, you know, in the short term, but I, I'm, I'm fearing what's going to happen, you know, the fallout of just a whole missed year of football, what that can do for some, you know, these athletes and, and their lives and their careers. So that's been on my mind a lot recently. I think that's the saddest part in all this, but I think the, the timeline of events here, <clears throat> excuse me, and what we've seen over the past couple of days um, isn't as surprising to me as it is probably to some because, um, you know, even though they put out the conference schedule, uh, you know, a week before canceling and everything, and now they're even talking about playing in the spring, which uh, I believe is highly unlikely. Um, these are all this is, you know, what you see out of politicians This is what you see during throughout uh football seasons with coach speak. Uh, it, this is just simply kicking, you know, the can down the road with certain talking points to, to ultimately get to where I think a lot of the big 10 presidents and a lot of the NCAA officials kind of already knew where we were going to be at at this point, because in reality, they, you know, everyone is scared of the fallout of, you know, what if someone does get severely sick and, and what, you know, type of backlash comes from that. Um, and they all want to err on the side of caution. Now, one thing Mike did say that I thought was interesting, you know, and, and also is obviously a big reason why they couldn't um, felt like they couldn't have this football season is because of bringing students back on campus. And Mike talked about separating out the student athletes from other students. Well, the unfortunate thing about that is the NCAA has had years and years and years to do this and separate out those students. And that would have been by paying student athletes making them paid employees the reason we're going to have pro sports for the foreseeable future and not college sports is because college athletes are not compensated and not paid and they have no real life incentive to actually other than for our own enjoyment and fans enjoyment which only produces more revenue and money for the institutions and not the um, athletes themselves that's the reason we don't have college football. And, and I know it's maybe getting to some seem off topic, but I think really think the fact that we don't have college sports right now stems back to the issue that never got resolved about paying these athletes and putting them in a position where um, they can be viewed separately from other students because let's face it, their lives are very different from other students. And I don't see a scenario in the short term where we can have college sports while having other students on campus. Cause I don't know how you're going to create that bubble for them. But if these were paid athletes and had that different differentiation, I think at that point you could talk about putting just the athletes into a bubble and, and making their lives a little bit different. Cause at that point you've already differentiated them, but unfortunately that that's just not where we're at. Well, and one interesting thing to come out of this uh, last week and early this week is that a lot of the high-profile uh, athletes around the country, notably Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, uh, both expressed support and a desire for a college football players union and a college football players association. Now, we saw that a few years ago with Northwestern. I know they tried to do it, and they were pretty successful uh, in their efforts. But 
Mike, what do you think the chances are that, you know, how do you feel about all of that? Well, you know, based on what Pat said about playing, paying the athletes, would that make a difference? And then do you think that we do have a serious conversation about college football players unionizing? Well, there, there's a lot there. I'll, I'll say this to, to Pat. I, I agree that in terms of if they were paid, then you could make the argument that they can be separated out and treated differently than regular students that come in. That that scenario, I, I would agree with you on that. Uh, my, the issue that I have, and I, I do believe that this is more than just about health and wellness and all that. I think that's a cover. I do agree that I think the presidents are trying to kick the can down the road or hit the reset button, as Rick Neuheisel was saying, uh, about uh, the unionization or just or potential lawsuits that you're hearing about. I think they want to hit the reset button and hope that if the season starts in the spring that this goes away or is forgotten about or if it's next fall that we play um, because here's the deal. We knew that there wasn't going to be a vaccination this fall. So why have these guys show up for camp and start practicing? If you're that concerned about it, why did they do that in the first place? So clearly to me, there's something more underlying here than the health and wellness, because you can't make the argument that these kids aren't the best cared for on these college campuses with the doctors, with the trainers, with the nutrition, you know, with the bubble that they're in, uh, if anything, for training camp. You can't make an argument otherwise. So I do believe that there's underlying issues here. I'm not necessarily a big fan of paying athletes, but I do believe, Pat, that we were making strides by using, you know, paying players for their likeness, uh, for jerseys and things like that at video games. I'm fine with that, and I'm all for taking a look at their scholarship situation and meals and and money on the side. I'm all for that, and I think they were making strides in that area. I think if you talk to a college football player today and ask them what they get compared to somebody 20 years ago, it's going to be radically different. They have made strides there. I'm not a fan of necessarily paying players, but, you know, to your point in that scenario, yes, you can bubble them out. Um, but yeah, there's a lot more going on here and it's just disappointing because again, if you, if you were that concerned about health and wellness, knowing a vaccine wasn't going to be available till early next year is what they were saying. Then why, why did we ever go through any of this? And I think you make a good point about the lawsuits as Maryland fans and as people who have uh, been around the program, uh, long enough know, um, you know, after the Jordan McNair situation, you know, you can never be too careful with these student athletes. If you have a situation where a kid dies on your watch, uh, whether it's because of that or because of COVID, there can always be the possibility that you haven't done exactly what you need to do. There's a potential for lawsuits. And the fact that these kids aren't paid opens the door to a lot more legal ramifications. So I think it's understandable that the presidents uh, have that, those concerns. But I agree with you that sending these kids back uh, for summer practice and having them continue to practice and then canceling after what? It was about a month ago that they went back. Uh, it doesn't make much sense. Um, you know, it, it, they needed to be probably more decisive. It, it felt like I, I seem to remember us talking last month about how the situation and the landscape had kind of changed. They had been back at practice for maybe a week or two. I know Rutgers had been having issues by then at that point. We were starting to see a lot of positive tests, and it seemed to be a lot less optimistic than we had been a month before that, uh, that the season would actually happen. So the, the writing seemed to be on the wall. Um, one other thing that I wanted to mention, you guys talked about um, you know, potentially sending these kids back to certain situations. Correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of these schools have already put out um, 
statement saying that the, the kids will remain on campus. They will be able to work out uh, for the remainder of the fall. So it's not, as far as I can tell, most of these kids are not being sent back anywhere. Uh, they'll remain on campus. They'll remain, you know, their scholarships are still uh, eligible. They'll they'll take their classes virtually, but I believe they'll remain in the housing that they were originally in. So I think from what I've seen, that argument seems to fall slightly flat. And I know that's the argument that, you know, I know Trevor Lawrence was making that, uh, that sending these kids back uh, to where wherever they came from originally, wherever their homes were, uh, could potentially be more dangerous. But I believe that they're going to stay on campus. Well, I think you're right, Zach. But I also, if I'm not mistaken, I believe and I would think that they would give them probably the choice. Um, right. Since there's not going to be any organized team activities, there's probably no mandatory reason for them to be on campus and they can't get into big groups anyway. So um, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I, you know, hopefully some students that might not have a great situation to go back to would be smart enough to to stay in a safer environment. But um, yeah, I, my thinking would be that probably every student would have that choice and a lot of them are going to choose to go be with their family and um, probably not, you know, social distance the whole time either. So. Well, and two questions here. One, going back to the lawsuits, though, and I get Maryland in this specific case, they may be the exception to the rule if they had opted out and all 13 other teams had played. I, I could get that a little bit, given or a lot, given the McNair situation. But again, if you were that concerned, why did they even go to camp in the first place? Makes no sense. Uh, concerning this, I guess the question is, okay, yeah, maybe in some cases the kids get to stay. I think it depends on the school and whether they're doing classes on campus or they're doing all virtual or a mix um but to that end okay are the athletic trainers the doctors the nutrition and all that is that needed at this point since there's no practice and no season i'm not sure that that if anything they're getting that which they would normally get um but that's a fair point though um to, to make if that's a case act that they can they can stay yeah, and you're right. It probably does depend on the school. I, I think most of the bigger schools that I had seen had put out statements saying that they could stay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is obviously a good you may be right about that, that that part yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll continue to develop in the next few weeks for sure. Um and, and we've also seen a couple teams, uh, notably Nebraska, uh, state that they wanna play all non conference games uh, and leave essentially leave the Big Ten conference for a season. But the Big Ten conference said if they do that, they're not welcome back. So, Pat, <laughs> comment quickly on that. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting situation. Well, that was the last thing I had heard about Nebraska until I think this morning uh, I woke up with like, an alert on my phone from ESPN that said I didn't read the whole story. I only read the alert in the headline, but it basically said, you know, Nebraska is happy to be a member of the Big Ten. So it sounds like they've recanted okay. their initial statement a little bit and changed their stance a little bit, probably because they, you know, Commissioner Warren probably had a nice little conversation with the uh, Nebraska president and Nebraska AD, it, it would be my guess, and maybe uh, flexed a little muscle there, contractual muscle. Um, but yeah, I mean, I all this talk about all these schools going rogue is crazy. I think maybe this whole situation shines a light on how ridiculously the NCAA is set up to begin with um, and how we have, you know, a governing body of all different conferences that have all different rules and committees and stuff. Um, you know, going back to kind of the idea of the unionization of players, um, you know, per perhaps we do. And I think anyone who acts like the NCAA and college sports isn't a, uh, 
um, a business like any professional sports is just kidding themselves. So I, I think, you know, you do need to have a union for the players and you do need to have a union for the schools, um, AKA the teams um, and, and have it set up that way. Like basically any other professional sports league. Yeah. And, and to, to your point that Nebraska ends talk of playing outside of big 10, that was the, that was the headline there at, uh, at, at ESPN. But I, I have to say this though, guys, and, and this is going down probably a different road with all this COVID is being used as a bargaining chip though. When you hear about players unionization and, and I know that prior to this, they were pushing for, uh, you know, more benefits, if you will, but you know, more of a per diem if you, and, and maybe more food and, and things, things of that nature prior to this but uh, they're using COVID as a bargaining chip to say hey if we get this be damned COVID we'll go ahead and play for you so I, I and I and I think in a way that if um that it's not for the some of the players it's not about health and wellness it's about can we get more out of this because we can use COVID and and that's kind of disappointing but it's what they're doing. So. I think it's being That's used true, as a the, chip for a lot of different people for a lot well, of different no, reasons. No, no, no question about it. But let's not get ourselves some players if if they knew they could get more benefits out of it and agreed to play. I don't think they care what the COVID situation was like. So, yeah. well, and now, I think I think yeah. there's a maraud of you know reasons why players you know may or may not you know should or shouldn't be paid. But I think um, you know their health and well being has always con consistently been one of their biggest bargaining chips too because really what they get in return um they do have you know good medical staff and some access to the best doctors and stuff but what they have in terms of um medical support you know in coverage over certain injuries and you know uh honoring scholarships after injuries and things like that and just the peace of mind that a true professional would have um you know i think that's always been a big bargaining chip for them and, and will continue to be you know even post covid um you know, maybe COVID can enact some sort of uh, uh, change that'll be, you know, mutually beneficial to both sides. And let's be honest, if the NCAA could use COVID as a bargaining chip, they'd do it and to the fullest extent. My, my only question with all this is that, and and we, we've talked about this maybe a little bit with, with the paying of the players, guys, because I mean, this is apropos with all this is that, okay, does the backup or the third string quarterback get paid the same as the starting quarterback? Because in the NFL, it wouldn't happen that way. And would people be okay with that? And let's be honest, with the booster situation at, for instance, these SEC schools, I'm not so sure that these schools still aren't going to be trying to pay these kids to A, get in before they're actually getting paid. And B, I'm not so sure that they still won't get getting more so that they don't jump in the transfer portal to go elsewhere. So I'm not sure that, A, this stops any quote-unquote cheating that's going on. I'll, I'll say that. The players may you know, certainly be compensated better, but the cheating, that's, not, that's going nowhere. Yeah, and while well, I agree with you there, Mike, um, and I don't want to get too like into the weeds on the whole pay players thing. I know we're you know, getting off topic a little bit. Um, yeah, I think it's a complicated situation that doesn't, you know, like, there's going to have to be levels to it. There's going to have to be a lot of logistical things figured out in terms of how do you play which players. Um, I've always been a proponent of figuring, finding a way to figure it out. Obviously not paying everyone. My personal belief is not to pay everyone the same amount like across the board. There has to be levels to it. I think there's certain revenue cuts that could be distributed evenly amongst rosters and amongst players. Just to, but I think my, my overall idea and how I even, 
brought up the topic was just the idea of amateurism versus non-amateurism. And I think just even even if you were paying them just a per diem and the worst player on the team, the the very last scholarship player or even the walk-on players are getting um, something that's helped, you know, some some compensation for their athletic efforts, um, then you automatically take them out of amateurism and we can start this discussion of um, making different contingencies for them in these situations outside of, you know, other students. Um, so I think that that could just be a benefit. I, I think that's an area of this that the NCAA is completely missing and that could actually be a benefit to them. Um, but they're, it, it's Pandora's box. So once they open up that that can of worms, I think they're afraid of what could happen and what could landslide from there. But um, yeah, I think that that's really where I was going with it, with the connection between the two there. So let's, let's switch gears and talk spring season. We've talked about it a little bit, the big 10 and the PAC 12 in their same statements uh, of postponing the fall season have expressed the desire to at least explore the possibility of playing in the spring. Now what that looks like, nobody really knows. The obvious cons are that it runs directly into the NFL draft in April and that you would likely not see any NFL ready, at least the top tier talent uh, for the Big Ten. That means players like Justin Fields would not be on the field. Uh, so it obviously lessens the product on the field for those conferences. Uh, and then there's the issue of scheduling, playing a full spring season and then turning around in the fall and playing a full fall season is likely not going to give players enough recovery time. And it's going to mean that if you suffer a season ending injury in the spring, you're out for the fall as well. So you lose two years. Now, Jeff Brom, I know uh, he put out a, his uh, Purdue head coach put out his uh, proposal that apparently there's less padded practices and more recovery time and more time off. Mike, what are your thoughts on the spring season? Because I told Pat the this whole thing about a spring season feels like when you break up with somebody and you say, well, we can still be friends after. And the chances of, of that <laughs> happening are, seem like the same chances of a spring season happening. What do you think? My overall thought on it, and I've said this on some of my radio shows, is I don't like having a condensed spring uh, season in 2021 for 2020 because it messes up another year. This year's already messed up. Why mess up another year? I know it sucks for those players that are top top of the uh, top of their game and they're NFL eligible. But I think they'll. I think those guys will survive it. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. I think they'll survive it. It sucks, but why mess with two seasons when you only have to mess with one? I'm just not in favor of it. Uh, whatsoever. Now, I know that Ryan Day at Ohio State talked about starting in January. Now, that's assuming that there is a vaccine almost right away in January or mid-January. That may or may not be the case. I, you know, maybe I give a little bit of credence to that if it's done at the beginning of the year compared to in, say, you know, March, April, May. But generally, um, I'm against it. Don't mess with 2021. Just hit the reset button. And Pat, we talked a little bit um, before we got on the air um, about scholarships. Now, one positive, one of the lone positives that I see to a spring season, other than uh, maybe some developmental issues, is that you wouldn't be pushing scholarships into the fall and paying and forced to fund potentially over a hundred scholarships um, or even more uh, for for any given team. 
uh, you wouldn't be pushing seniors and giving them another year of eligibility and obviously having to pay that. So talk a little bit about what what your feelings are. You know, obviously there are certain schools that won't have an issue funding scholarships. There are certain schools like Maryland. I know Mike Loxley put out a, you know, made a comment earlier. It's going to be really tough for us to fund over 100 scholarships in the fall uh, if we don't have a spring season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it sounds like, um, you know, they really are going to have to pick between the lesser of two evils. You know, what's going to be more difficult, funding those scholarships or the logistics of a spring season? I don't know if I have the answer to that right now because they both seem pretty impossible uh, at the moment. But yeah, a school like Maryland, like Loxley said, not going to, doesn't have, you know, the the booster support, doesn't have the financial um security that some of the other schools bigger schools have um in the big 10 and even outside of the big 10 that you know could um withstand something like that i i don't know how they do it i mean you're you're essentially asking uh athletic departments to take on more overhead with less revenue so just simple economics it doesn't doesn't work um a spring season i mean i got in the email today from the big 10 with with uh, Jeff Brom's full thing. I haven't gotten a chance to take a, a close look at it. I just glanced at it. Um, I'm glad someone at least has taken that, whether it's good or bad, I'm glad someone's at least taken the effort to put the, something like that together and really give it some, some good detailed thought. Um, you know, maybe cause I think, you know, we, we put up this mask and, and Mike was alluding to this earlier. We put up this mask of, uh, about this whole thing being about, you know, health and wellness across the board, when in reality, we all know it's about the revenue, because I don't think any of the people making the decisions are really that concerned about the student athletes getting severely sick from this. I think that they are constantly crunching the numbers and trying to figure out how they can, you know, survive, you know, uh, the bottom line from from 2020. So I think maybe if they do have a spring season, some of that, whether it's got star players or not, or whether they're playing with mostly backups or uh, smaller rosters or who, who knows how they would do it. Um, you know, a lot of that I think would just be to try and recoup back whatever lost revenue they had from the fall. And then they would try and I would assume have a 2021 fall season and act like nothing ever happened. I don't like you mentioned injuries, um, just overall fatigue, lack of an off season. I don't see how that, um, is logistically possible. And I, I'm with Mike. I'd rather sacrifice one season to assure that we don't lose two. Um, and and that's just where I'm at with it. I mean, I, I'm as sad as anyone that we might not have college sports this year, but I don't want to see the future of the game be put in any jeopardy because of um, monetary decisions. Well, and even if you carry over those scholarships, guys, there's only so many spots on the field to play. So just because you're on the team, fat chance of you getting on the field, it's a wasted year for, you know, even with the additional scholarships, it's a wasted year. And really, if you're a coach in certain situations, it may not be in your best interest to play the seniors. You may say, sorry, you're hitting the bench because I need to get these freshmen playing time because that's my future. You're not. And it, so it's, it puts coaches in a tough situation when there's only 22 spots to begin with. If you're going to increase the roster to 110, 120 or whatever, that, that's, it just makes it very difficult. Hey, I was, I was kind of joking around the other day on social media, but I, I did kind of bring up 
<laughs> an idea that, you know, for some of the more high profile players and seniors who say we don't have any college football in, um, you know, this fall or, or, or in the spring at all. And you have players who won't be able to return in the fall that are, um, you know, good enough to play in the pros or just right on the fringe of that. You know, if I'm Dwayne The Rock Johnson with my new XFL league, I'm I'm looking at ways to sign these players and make them pros. And maybe maybe you do have a, 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 a eight team league or a six team league in the spring with just some of the best college players. And maybe, um, you know, the NCAA won't recoup any of that money, but maybe at least the XFL can capitalize on that and give us some entertaining football. Now, how many players would be interested in that versus, you know, obviously players that are surefire first round picks, probably just go right to the draft and stuff. But I do think for the players who might've been on the fringe that needed this past fall to raise their stock, um, that might be a good option for some of them. And then, you know, maybe you play a very short season in the spring and roll right into the NFL season and, and hope for the best in the, in the fall. I don't know. I'm just talking crazy here, but, uh, you know, Zach, I don't know what you think, but if you could get the numbers, I think that's a win-win for everybody. I think that helps the NCAA. It doesn't need any more winning anyway. Yeah. I think that helps the XFL too, because it hasn't worked before. They're going to do something here and that kind of makes them a minor league NFL league for a year. What also helps us stuck at home with nothing to do. I'm always in favor of more sports being on TV. Are you not going to watch that? I would. Assuming they get the numbers, I would watch that. Absolutely. We would watch anything at this point. Exactly. I think it's a win-win for everyone besides the NCAA, and and they're the least of my concern right now. Yeah. Well, I'm not watching cornhole. I can tell you that. I'm not watching (laughs) cornhole tournaments on ESPN. So let's narrow in and talk about Maryland. Pat, you wrote an article – when all of this was swirling uh, over the weekend about the fallout of, of no football specifically for Maryland. So take us through some of the things that you talked about. Um, obviously we saw Talia Tagovailoa ruled immediately eligible and then the season gets postponed. Then it didn't matter. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So talk about, you know, go through some of your basic points in that article. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the article kind of touched on the, the fallout, um, uh, not just Maryland, but, you know, just Big Ten, college sports in general. But, you know, specifically for Maryland, it, like you mentioned, it's this we've we've said it before on the show. This wasn't a year about wins and losses for Maryland, but Maryland did need this year um, as part of its process of its rebuild. This was a big, big year for that in terms of getting um, players like uh, Talia Tagovailoa on campus and kind of handing him over the reins. Um, getting not only last year's recruiting class, but the the upcoming recruiting class coming in all together and kind of having Loxley's recruiting finally starting to take shape. Uh, for so many reasons, this was just an important year developmentally for Maryland football and was really going to, um, I think, kind of set a foundation. We were going to see a lot about what to expect moving forward, I thought, this year. And to not have that, um, you know, it, it stinks. Um, and it you also not knowing what we're going to be coming back to or when we're going to be coming back. It's hard to project, you know, how exactly this is like, you know, is Maryland going to be a team that's hit harder than other schools by this when things return? Um, are there been, you know, are there things that could benefit Maryland hurt other, you know, some of its competitors? I don't know. I think it's premature to, to answer some of those questions now, but um, 
you know, it, it's a lot of the things I wrote about in my article are, are things that we kind of already touched on. Just how do you logistically handle scholarships? How do you avoid the the NFL offseason and then just even the college offseason? Um, you know, what what is the um, you know, what is the benefit to the players to to do this you know like what 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 is for for players who you know can our teams even going to be able to field rosters if you give them a, a spring league with with players that'll just jump to the nfl for players who will opt out or players who will possibly transfer to um the sec or big 12 if they decide to play football in the fall so it, it's just so many unknowns right now but i just think that it, it's it's not going to be an easy thing uh, for Maryland to navigate. That's for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, Maryland may, this may be, if it was going to happen, this might not be a bad year for it to happen. You've got Loxley already in place. It, he's, it's not his first year, uh, but he's not ready to compete. You know, the team's probably not ready to compete like an Ohio state or a, a Michigan, potentially, you know, a Clemson where those teams would probably, you know, you're missing out on potential national championship, uh, ramifications. But like you, like you mentioned, Pat, this is a very important year developmentally. The second year can a lot of times set the tone. You've got a lot of, most of your players, uh, are already bought in. You saw Loxley, you know, nudge certain players out, uh, he, you know, after last year, and this is his team, uh, with his recruiting class, with a couple recruiting classes under his belt, he's got his quarterback in the system. Um, and then to lose that developmentally is going to be tough, even though it looked like next year's roster was definitely going to be more talented. Um, Mike, what are your thoughts on this? What do you think are the, is the biggest impacts to Maryland? Well, the, the one thing that I wanted to bring up first, though, is offensively, let's not forget two of the starting offensive linemen had opted out before the Big Ten made this decision. Uh, Josh Jackson, a quarterback as well. So if anything, you lose some depth there. Although with Tagovailoa being made eligible uh, at that point, you know, I, I'm not sure that that was as big a blow. But when you got two starting offensive linemen, uh, that's a big deal right there. And then there was a player on the defensive line, I believe, that also had uh, had opted out. But, um, I, you know, the one thing I'll say, and, and Zach, you pointed it out, next year's recruiting class coming in better than the one that's going to play this year that was ranked, I think, 31st. Uh, the one coming in is better. Um you know, I, I think Maryland can get through this because all the other schools are dealing with this. Yes, this delays the development, but and there are probably things that we'll, we'll never know, but this does allow Loxley, after taking the job and trying to salvage a recruiting class and, and get his culture established, I think, if anything, this may have helped him learn the program better, learn his players better, uh, the coaches, the assistant coaches, the same thing. This may allow them some time that, they would obviously not ordinarily have to continue to um, off the field, lay a foundation for this program going forward, maybe build better relationships with their players, uh, have a better idea of what they really have with these guys. Um, it gives them a chance to really think about, are we doing all the best things here or can they be tweaked better? And so, and a lot of those things we may never know exactly uh, detail wise uh, off the field, but I, I think Maryland could get away with this. Yes, it would have been great for them to play and start to set the tone. But we all know that this was going to be a three and nine team. We were looking for you know just quality offensive defensive series. We were looking for a couple of first downs in a row, et cetera. This was still going to be a tough year. I do think 
that uh, I do think that they can survive this, um, although not ideal. I, I think they'll actually be okay, and this may actually help Loxley, um, you know, marry into this program. Well, that's maybe not the word, but help Loxley immerse himself into the program even more than he already had. Yeah, and it probably gives him an extra year. Not that this year was really going to determine oh, no his fate, but can't. every coach in the country is going to be given a little more slack than they originally had. Um, as far as product on the field goes because of this and Maryland, obviously, like you said, wasn't expected to do much next year. They're going to be rusty uh, on the field, but every team in the big 10 and the pac 12 at least are going to be pretty rusty once they get on the field. Um, the high school players coming in one interesting thing, Pat, uh, the high school players coming in, at least the local players are not going to have a senior season. Um, you know, so what, what impact do you think that has on guys coming in? Do you think that, with the addition of, you know, with the impact of COVID, you know, if we don't have a spring season and we're looking at fall, so everybody's coming in, at least locally, with a season off, do you think that that results in less freshman contributions, potentially? Well, I know they, they all better know their playbook pretty well because um, <laughs> they're going to have a lot of time to uh, study it, a lot of free time to study that college playbook with no high school season. So, um no, I don't think um, – I think when you're a freshman, it's hard to contribute anyway. You better be a pretty special player, and you better, um, you know, in, you, you better become a, a coach's favorite pretty early in the in the offseason process if you want to see the field as a freshman. So, um, you know, if we don't get a full offseason, if we don't get um, – you know, if obviously next year's offseason is affected by this, then, yeah, then, you know, because I think if we – Say we had the the spring and early summer that we had this year and things cleared up by July, like many thought, you know, initially, and we ended up having a uh, a regular fall season and whatnot. I think this year would have been a very hard year for freshmen to come in and contribute right away because they missed, you know, the early enrollees and missed spring ball and we didn't even have a, a fall camp. So I think it would have been tough, um, you know, even this year. But so from that standpoint, I could see it. But if we end up having a pretty somewhat of a regular offseason next year, um, I think the not having the senior high school season and actually, you know, not having that extra wear and tear in their body and, and assuring that all those students come to Maryland healthy, because um, we've seen plenty of stu- uh, plenty of uh, recruits come to Maryland uh, coming off of some serious uh, high school injuries in their senior year. So um yeah, I don't I don't necessarily I don't think they're going to come in and forget to play football. Well, there might be a little bit of rust for some skill position players, maybe. But um Talia's going to be throwing footballs, I'm sure. Uh, Rakeem Jarrett's going to, you know, I'm sure he's got a jug machine or something like that. So um, and, and like you said, they're all on campus now with I'm pretty sure the options of staying there and probably have access to some team facilities and whatnot. So. I don't worry about it. I think it could actually be a benefit um, to Maryland. And, um, you know, they'll have a lot of talented freshmen coming in between the last, you know, a lot of hungry, talented freshmen coming in between the two classes combined. So it should be interesting to see. You know, I, I, guys, I just thought about this a little bit. I, I do think that if there's a regular 2021, that there's no 20 season that carries over into 21, I think they ought to think about, because you know there's no preseason in college, I think they ought to consider having a game or two as a, as a preseason game uh, because of that time off. I don't think that would hurt whatsoever. Maybe you see scrimmages. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, not a bad idea. 
something on that Local. note. I mean, maybe it's not a full fledged preseason game, but just an extended fall camp, maybe something. So you know, yeah, right? Not a bad idea. Something of that. Something of that nature. Well, acclimation, as we hear, a longer acclimation now, period. Uh, the I just thought of this. I, I hadn't thought about this until just now, but what do you think the chances are if they don't get to play any 2020, well, any fall football this year? And it's, it keeps confusing because it's spread out over the two years, but no 2020 fall, no 2021 spring, but we have fall 2021 football. What are the chances that they just expand the college football season start it say maybe in august add three or four more games on every team's schedule recoup some of last year's you know the previous year's revenue that way and also potentially give teams a chance to um use some more of these players if they do expand rosters you know extra games if some of the games in the beginning are maybe against lesser competition like they normally are or you sprinkle some more of those games in there then maybe you get to see some more of your freshmen or just the natural attrition that will happen with more games you'll get to use more of your roster um i could see the ncaa talking about something like that uh going into next year it's interesting yeah. you take a 12 game season and you maybe you make it 14 mm-hmm. add a couple fcs games on the on the front yep. end, Maryland plays somebody like Howard or Towson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, no, I, I I love it. I love it. And I think the number would be two. I'm not I'm not sure you can get to four because then you're going to start to question. Okay, the health of, of college players who are still developing. But yeah, no, I I think adding that too. I think that would be huge actually. Yeah. And maybe you add a conference game, even uh, you know, maybe not the Big Ten because they already have what ten conference or uh, nine conference games. But even that, even the Big Ten, though, maybe you add a conference game. It's potential. Well, um, so sticking with recruiting, um, just want to give you know the, a quick update as we always do on the recruiting rankings. Maryland did get one commit in the last month on the fifth. Kyle Long, they got their first offensive line commit. He becomes the lowest ranked. Uh, player in the class, but never a bad idea to shore up offensive line depth. Uh, the class is currently ranked eight, 18th nationally and fourth in the Big Ten. So uh, obviously, you know, the the hot start that Loxley had with this class has continued. They also got their first commit in 2022, a three-star athlete, uh, Mari Clark from New Jersey, uh, thought to be pretty talented. Uh, can also play some D, can play wide receiver as well as some DB. Pat, do you have any insight into into his commitment and how that all unfolded? Yeah, uh, Clark specifically, you you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, New Jersey kid. It's uh, our new uh, New Jersey assistant um, Baker um, Henry Baker, our new cornerbacks coach, who uh, obviously has strong um, New York ties. I believe he coached at Rutgers previously. He mm-hmm. um, is from that area, so he known as a very good New Jersey recruiter. And this is a big pool. This kid was being, you know, looked at by Baylor, Florida, Penn State, Rutgers, Texas A&M, Virginia Tech, West Virginia. I mean, these, this is big time competition for this kid. And um, they got him to sign up early, which is good. I mean, with football recruits, uh, I, I always take commitments this early with a little bit of a grain of salt. You know, they're basketball players. You don't see them flip commitments too much. Football players, kind of the opposite. Um, but, you know, I, I think now more than ever, because of the climate of the world, you know, relationships are the most important thing in recruiting. Um, and that's what locks, you know, that's Loxley's cornerstone with his recruiting. I think he builds his staff that way, too. So um, 
Yeah, I mean, if him and uh, if Clark and and Coach Baker have you know that strong of a bond that he committed this early, um, you gotta like their chances of being able to possibly hold on to him despite what happens. And uh, very talented kid, you know, six foot two, uh, you know, DB. Uh, I mean, he's listed as an athlete, but I think they're gonna try and play him at DB. Um, and yeah, I mean, hmm. that's just. I mean, I, I can't say that for sure. It's kind of early, but the, you know, Baker being a DB coach, and I could see it. But I could, I mean, six foot two, one eighty five. I could see him playing a number of uh, positions on the field. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think, I, think that I saw where he has he has experience, obviously a wide receiver, but then corner and safety. Yeah, so he has very he has versatile the ability to play a lot of different places. And, maybe a you know, and I like the Kyle Long commit, the first alignment. I mean, like you mentioned, only a two star guy, lowest you know rated re- recruit in the class. But in terms of um, potential and just kind of uh, upside, I guess you could say, um. You know, I, I like that in this kid. You know, he's very, very tall, very long for an offensive line. And they need to add height on the offensive line. And um, he's athletic. Like, he can move. Like, he actually has. So, if they put some bulk on him and he's able to actually maintain that athleticism and mobility, he could be a very, you know, versatile lineman for you that could be moved around a little bit. Um, so, I think it's, you know, for the first offensive lineman of the class, it, it's good that they add it one finally. And, uh, you know, he... I think you could you could definitely do worse than Kyle Long. Well, guys, outside the JUCO players, who we know that's a boom or bust situation, and and you hope to hit on one out of a couple that that you may bring in, which Maryland has. You look at a, a two star guy, but it is about potential, as you talked about, Pat. Right now, Maryland still, even though Locks is doing a great job recruiting, there's still a guy or two that they may have to pick up and develop them. You know, if they can if they can get a guy like that, some diamonds in the rough, and develop them and even make them up to a three, three-and-a-half star, you'll take that. Maryland's still in the early stages where they have to do that, so it's really incumbent on good good position coaches to be able to do it, but first to be able to to spot that potential. And, Pat, as you talked about, in terms of the measurables there, 6'6", 300, and athletic. Yeah, let's hope that, that pans out to something. Yep. And let's hope I'm sorry. Let's hope it pans out a little bit better, Pat, yeah. than the previous projects like Tyron Hunt and TJ Bradley. Yeah. Oh, there's well, like seven and six eight. Well, and it reminds me like build wise a little of Tyron Hunt. That's the first comparison right. that obviously comes to mind. I can't, you know, I'll have to see him on the field to to say whether or not he's uh uh, you know, that type of player or not. But uh, you know, I do like to see I, I do like it when a player's position coach is the lead recruiter on him. Um, leads me to believe they had a little bit more in a say in, you know, the offer and, and how aggressively they pursued them. So, um, and John Regan was the the lead on, on that one. So that makes me feel a little bit better about it. Yeah. I'm curious, Pat, I don't know if you know how good is Missouri high school football. We know New Jersey, <laughs> but so Mari Clark, we know New Jersey football is good. I don't, I don't really know anything about Missouri football. The, the only thing I know about Missouri is the show Ozark. Apparently there's a lot of crazy <laughs> stuff that happens in Missouri. <laughs> But I, uh, no, other than that, uh, I, you know, I, I'm always interested to, you know, get players from Southern schools and SEC country and, um, you know, they breed big boys down there and he's a big boy. So, so switching gears quickly before we, uh, we sign off here, uh, to basketball recruiting, we have a, we have a commit, our, our commitment coming up for a, a big Maryland target, James Graham. Uh, borderline three or four star uh, wing, as uh, Mark Turgeon likes him. He likes his wings. 
Um, so his top four, let me find his top four, Maryland, uh, Auburn, Memphis, and Wisconsin. He's out of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Uh, so Pat, give us a, where does Maryland stand here? It looks like looking at 24 seven, it looks like Maryland is favored for his commitment. Um, what does he bring as far as his game and what would his commitment mean for Maryland? Yeah. Uh, well, his game, he's exactly, you know, the, the type of player that Maryland uh, likes. I, I'm not going to say needs because they've, they've seen to put a heavy emphasis on the wing forward position. Um, and I think we're all still kind of waiting to, to find the point guard of the future and, and another big that is comparable to, you know, a Bruno Fernando or, or a stick Smith. Um, so he's not either of those, any of those, but he is a talented wing. Um, talk about, you know, potential. I think he's a player who is very coachable and has a lot of, you know, potential. Uh, I know, you know, guys in basketball circles talk very highly about him and just the kind of the growth he has shown, you know, throughout his recruitment, uh, cause he was kind of off the radar not too long ago. Um, and then he's really, you know, picked up a, a nice laundry list of offers here. Um, from everything I hear, you know, it's really a two horse race between Maryland and Auburn. Um, I know the Auburn people think it's Auburn and the Maryland people think it's Maryland. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, who has the better sources there and who, uh, who it pans out to be. But, uh, I, I feel good about, you know, from at least my sources and the people I've talked to and their confidence in it being Maryland, I feel good about this one. I think, you know, he could be a Terp by next week. And, uh, you know, he'd be a nice compliment to the the people that, you know, have in the 2021 class already. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's your typical, uh, wing, but you know, kind of, well, in, in college, it's hard to say, cause he could grow, you know, he could fill out a little bit more. He could end up being more of a four. But to me, he's more of a stretch four wing. But, you know, at six, eight, it's not unheard of for a kid to grow an inch or two in his uh, senior season. And and if he adds, you know, any weight on, then you're talking about actually having a front court member um, and one that could, you know, shoot a little bit and, and has those skill sets, too. So that'd be nice. Um, but, yeah, I mean, good player. I hope they land him. It, it would certainly help. And, and basketball news has been very slow. So uh, it'd be it'd be welcome news. And on the 24-7 side, if their crystal balls mean anything to you, uh, eight, all eight crystal balls are pointing Maryland's way mm. for Graham. So that, that'll be interesting to watch. He, he'll be committing on the 17th, um, and we'll definitely be watching that. Well, and, and Zach, one thing when you talked, we talked about the Big Ten and Pac-12. The Big Ten has not made an announcement about winter sports. Pac-12 said all sports postponed or delayed until January 1st. So right now with the Big Ten, we we don't know that the winter season doesn't take place. Although I guess if there's no football, no fall sports, I don't know why at this point there would be a winter sport on, to start the, in 2020 unless you know, a vaccine comes about faster than we think. Yeah, I, I don't know how you feel about this, Pat, but it seems pretty unlikely that the basketball season at least is a full one this year for the Big Ten. Yeah, Um I've been asked about basketball by a couple of people recently, and I, I don't have many answers for them in that regard. Obviously, things look with what's going on with football, things look a little bleak. But uh, um, they have, you know, fortunately for them, they have more time that they won't be playing in the fall. We know that. Um, I think I think there's a good a better chance, you know, that we get a vaccine or some sort of um, remedy, you know, 
January or sometime in the spring. So if that happens, yeah, I could totally see there being some sort of shortened uh, college basketball season. If we by somehow get March Madness next year, I'll be the happiest person alive because I missed that so much this year and I don't want to have another year without it. Um, you know, I don't care if they play 10 games before and then just go right into a tournament based off of preseason projections. I will take it. I will watch it. Um, that'd be a, that that generates a ton of revenue. So talk about recouping some of that. And I don't see why the NCAA tournament, if need be, March Madness could be in April if need be, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think they'd want Most it to of go. It already yeah, is. I don't think they'd want it to go much past that because then you're leaking into the NBA offseason. But I think the professional leagues, NFL, NBA, all of them have to have to work with the you know have to work with the NCAA a little bit too. They can't just run their own race. I know they have their own things to worry about, but I think they also have to keep in mind that these are the developmental leagues um, for for their leagues, and they they need to if they need to. Um, postpone some of their off season or, or push back dates, not necessarily because they have to, but to help out, you know, the college um, leagues, then, then, yeah, I think that that would be very beneficial to them. But uh, yeah, we're maybe, yeah, we're, I mean, we're only talking about, okay, maybe two, two to three weeks, we'll say three weeks to be safe mm-hmm. that, that they make an adjustment on that. That's, I think that's possible. And yeah, you could still get in a lot. I think you could still get in that scenario. Possibly if you get a vaccine in, say, early to mid-January, you could maybe get in your all your conference games. Yeah, Just if you play a conference schedule and then maybe yeah. even skip conference tournaments and jump right into the NCAA. I don't yeah. know. Like yeah. it, it sounds like there's it sounds definitely more doable than uh, you know, football. At a principle, I would love that anyway. Uh, the conference tournaments to mean the regular season anyway <laughs> to me. So I I I'd be okay with it. Yeah. Just give me the, the the conference regular season and then jump right in because the non-conference games are meaningless 99% of the well, time. Well, Maryland. Especially for Maryland. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like you said. With Mark Turgeon scheduling. I love you know, some of the early season. Kentucky Dukes, week. Kansas State. And like, you know, those, some of those matchups are the best of the year, what? but. The Maryland uh, out-of-conference schedule always lacks a lot to be desired. He he treats the Big Ten Conference basketball like SEC football treats themselves. That well, very true. There's no point in playing non-conference games. The conference is tough enough. And I, I almost can't blame him because he's right. So Just rack up those wins early, and you can be disappointed later. That's Maryland <laughs> basketball. Really gets us uh, well, prepared for March Madness, playing uh, it, Southern Connecticut University. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we tried to finish this on a little bit of a more positive note, talking about basketball and recruiting, so it wasn't all depressing, but mostly depressing. Um, We'll be back with everybody um, soon with another episode. I'm sure we'll have more to talk about as things unfold. Um, Pat, you just put out an article. Um, Mike, what do you have in the works uh, up at BSL? Well, at this point now, because talking with Chris, you know, there was so much back and forth about, okay, what's going to happen now that we have an idea here? I think to certainly talk about the impact uh, it'll have with uh, Maryland, does it set, as we talked about, does it set Maryland's football program back or not? And uh, what about next year as to, okay, if there is a shortened season, you know, how, how does Maryland go about in terms of player personnel about going through through all that and, and the NCAA as well in terms of uh, eligibility? So uh, kind of touch upon uh, various aspects of how now this affects uh, the Maryland program. And for me, the last few months, I've been prepping and previewing the 2020 season, which is now not happening. So that's a lot of work that 
that I did that hopefully doesn't go completely to waste. But I'll be I'll be looking at the 2021 roster, uh, previewing potential depth chart, uh, looking at you know what what the product is going to look like on the field uh, with with probably scholarships uh, carried over. So keep an eye out for that. That'll all be posted up at Baltimore Sports and Life. Join the conversation on the message board. Follow us on Twitter at Talking Terps BSL. And until our next episode. For Pat Donahue and Mike Popovic, I'm Zach Kiesel, Roll Terps.